Jeff, the season is finally upon us. It is week one. I had a very sad realization this morning. Oh. Not, not that I'm sad because, you know, the season's over. I'm very excited. This has been a very unproductive week at work. It's yes. excitement for the season. It's also a short day. We're staying, we're going to Great Wolf Lodge tomorrow with the kids for the that? extra long weekend. You told me about but, that. I don't know what that is. Uh, it's like it's an indoor water park. And okay. then, so they have a bunch of locations, but it's like an indoor water park. And then there's like a hotel, whatever, but it's like themed like you're in a cabin or whatever. So that's why it's the Great Wolf Lodge. But then they have, and there's like a couple of restaurants. Like it's just like an indoor water park, Wait, whatever. And then they have like some arcades. So the one here is in Scottsdale, but they have a ton of locations. Like they're okay. all over the country. Um, so, but it's a water park. But when you, if you book a reservation, you can go in. So the water park opens at like eight or 9 a.m. or whatever. And you can go in when the water park opens the first day of your reservation, but then you can't check into your hotel till like three o'clock or whatever, like a normal hotel check-in time. And then you can stay till the water park closes on the last day of your reservation. So if you live near one, then you book one night, they had a half off sale earlier, like on a group hunt or whatever. So we got one night for $84 and we get two days in the water park plus a hotel room. So it's not bad. Um, is Scottsdale closer than Colorado Springs? Because those are my two options. Uh, well, I'm closer, and Scottsdale is definitely closer because you can just you could fly into Mesa for seventy oh, yeah. bucks a person. I'm not flying anywhere for a water park. Uh, well, you could come see me. You might, you, you're wearing an Arizona Wildcat. I see Wilbur the Wildcat on your shirt. If you know, you might fly down here for a football game next year. That is true. Shout out to uh, home field. Shout out to Homefield. We will, and also shout out to the Big Twelve for adding two Arizona schools. There will be, we will have uh, an official GEHB group for group ticket purchases for all games at Arizona State and Arizona. I'm deciding. I'm just telling that right now. I'd, so you also only have to get like ten people before they'll give you a discount and put you all together. So it's not going to be that hard to do, but we will make that happen. Um, also, so anyway, though. EHB because you saw my new license plate. Oh yeah, I thought should I get the Arizona plate? Did I show you the car? Maybe like show you it on the car? I did, right? Yeah, yeah. You sent it to you sent it yeah. to me. It looks good. Looks the black great. plate on the green Jeep. Oh yeah, it's hot. Look, looks real good. So always be branding, you know. So always be branding. The you know one day we're gonna get rich with this thing because here's the thing. Here's what I'm thinking about. Uh, I don't know. You're not in Utah anymore, but. If you have listened to local AM radio here in the state of Utah, it's not great. The The local sports talk is not. Uh, I've looked at the 60 for 60 list. I know it's not great. <laughs> uh, Scotty and Hans do a great job. The 60 and 60 list is the product of people voting. I actually voted. We'll, we'll talk about my ballot probably next week once they're officially done. I'll pull open my official ballot and we'll talk about how off I think the real ballot ended up being. Anyway, uh, yeah, the rest oh, of it. I didn't wait. I didn't realize that they did that as a poll from like everybody. I thought that was just Scotty and Hans, just them two. No, 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 no. So they they poll Utah media members. So this is the first year they asked me to do it. Uh, but I think there's like 25, maybe 30 guys who vote on it. Oh. So really. There's a lot of, 
I don't want to say there's more Utah journalists. I don't think that's accurate to say. Uh, but there's this weird, I don't know what to call it, but like this hex that Wit has put. And I think it just is a decade of one was in the Pac-12 and one was independent. But there is a definite like media bias that Utah is bigger, better all the time, no matter what. And I mean, in some respects, I guess that's earned, right? You win the conference twice. I mean, they got... They got Cam Risen and Brant Keithy in the top five or whatever, and they're not even playing. They're not even going to play. So, I, I mean, I get it to some respect, but, like, there is a, a weird, like, you're almost not allowed to say anything critical. Not even not allowed to say anything critical about Utah. You're almost not allowed to say anything positive about anybody else because it may not be critical. I don't know. It's very strange. But when you look at like traffic data and listenership and all that kind of stuff, like Steve Bartle kills it at Ute Zone, and he is the voice of the Utah fan. Like that's where most of their traffic goes. They don't go to any of these other traditional places. They go, they're going to consume. If people are going to consume Ute media, that's typically where they end up. Is it Steve's site? They aren't like the Deseret News. Like there's a reason that it's just like the extra BYU guy gets assigned to the Utah beat because. Right. Yeah, there's not a lot of traffic, that's so we're not going to pay for a Utah guy. So interesting. Very, very interesting. You know, when you talk to the folks who are involved with, like, we don't care about the teams, we don't even really care about sports, we just care about data, numbers, revenue. Uh, yeah, for all of the talk about Utah, there's not a lot of revenue generated by talking about Utah, which is a little strange. I don't really understand it. I'm trying to think of how I can say this nicely if you look at the talent who is covering utah versus byu that is also uh you know you can say what you want about the 60 and 60 but the media talent utah versus byu that is there is a there's a talent gap that i don't think will be able to be overcome anytime soon because ain't nobody catching up to our boy mitch harper but mitch is the, mitch is the best of us yes mitch is the best of us the I but my back to my realization. Yeah. I think I might be officially a boomer. Well, welcome to the club, man. Dude, uh, I opened up. I looked on YouTube this morning, and all of my recommendations on the homepage were lawn care videos. Ooh, you're uh, there. I. I did an at-home sleep apnea test because I, I because I've been I've my snoring is getting worse. And I had sinus surgery last year and it helped for a little bit, but now it's like rebounded and gotten worse. And I'm like snoring all the time. And so my wife's like, you know, especially while she's like 35 weeks pregnant, just like shut the hell up, like yeah. get away from me already. It's like hard enough to be pregnant and sleep ever. Right. And so snoring doesn't help. So I did an at home sleep apnea test and it was like, Oh yeah, you're bad. So I got the CPAP coming in the mail. Oh, like, dude, I, I'm officially, I think I'm officially yeah. a boomer. I, I've been there for a little while. I think once I started shaving my head, that was kind of a bad sign, but it did hit me. That was a few weeks ago, but I was on a call with, I can't remember. No, it was with a, a like a vendor partner. It wasn't a customer, but maybe it was. I can't remember. But at the end of the call, it was like, all right, Jeff, if you can do this for me, and then just we'll, we'll follow up next week. And my response was, okie dokie. Oh, and that's no. what I knew. 
Have you seen those TikToks? There's a a couple TikToks of like, it's a white dude and a black dude. And they're talking about wave. Like, you know, because there's like African American, like A-A-V-E of like African American vernacular English is like the official like linguistic term. And Mm -hmm. so they're saying like wave and it's like white American vernacular English. And they do things like, uh, it was like, once somebody overconfidently expresses an incorrect opinion, it's like Ooh. okay it's like okay buddy yeah <laughs> like yeah. And they go through all these different things it's like thanks bot thanks chief yeah. <laughs> like they yeah. go through all these different things uh, and i think okie dokie was one of those it's for, gotta uh, be it's a, it, it's later. Like a midwesterner thing okie dokie <laughs> like, yeah or is uh what's the other one the one i saw the other day was they were saying it was like when somebody shows up late to a function it's like oh look what the cat dragged <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> dude, you're officially yeah. an old man when you start saying stuff like that. But it just it happens yeah. sometimes. Another, another day in paradise. That feels like it's got to be one. Uh, like... uh, let me tell you what I recognized just this week. Kind of an interesting phenomenon. I actually heard my dad. I was we were out doing something in his truck. Uh-oh. Randy, Randy's he... about to get drunk. No, 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 no. Randy's boss. Drug. Randy's boss called him. And this was this was foreign to me, but my dad was like, no, this is what he does. They were talking about whatever, given pick a subject. They were talking about subject, call it computers. I don't know. Once the boss had delivered the message that he felt needed to be delivered, there was no like closure to the conversation. There was no pleasantries, no, all right, well, we'll talk to you later. It was just, hey, Garrett, I need you to go to the store and get to that computer. Can you do that? Great. That was the end. And I thought, well, that's bizarre. And then I started paying a little bit more attention. And there's some boomer folk, like real boomers, like old people that I'm not old, like late 50s that I work with. And that's how they're talking to me now. And I don't know if I've just never noticed, but like, have you noticed people doing that? That once this is on the phone, this isn't in person where it's just like walking out of your office, this is on the phone. They deliver their message. Once the message is delivered, it's like, why the hell are we still talking? Like, why do I need to say goodbye to you, Garrett? I'm going to talk to you tomorrow or whatever. So just, okay, <laughs> hang up the phone. It was so weird, but people are doing it. I mean, I kind of, I've thought about this because one thing, you know, especially with like remote work is that you don't have like the the chit chat as much where yeah. it's like you know if you're in an office you would just like swing by and say like hey can you do this for me cool but thanks and you just have like the flyby well now you but, have the culture of well I, we're gonna keep you two minutes late sorry it's like when do we start caring about two minutes yeah well it's interesting because one thing is we've talked about because my company is primarily you know remote work and we just actually our headquarters we moved offices last week and we downsized you know drastically down from like went from 25,000 square feet to like 8,000 square feet, I think at our new office. Um, and, you know, to support that and we're spread all over the world. Um, and, you know, that you do have to be intentional. Like it's weird. Cause you're on the phone and you're like, okay, bye click. But then also you do that, you start doing that often enough. And then it feels to where it's like, you don't actually know your coworkers because you everything don't. is just so transactional yes. that it's like, purposely like scheduling time for like okay let's get on and just like shoot the shit for a little bit and like you know like do whatever and like so now it's like now we have 
once a week we have like scheduled like a team hangout where it's like oh, well all okay. like well it's like yeah, we'll do lunch uh, base well i mean we just like talk about sports like today we talked about it's like one of the guys i work with like played at cal and another girl a lady that i work with she was a cheerleader at sam houston state and another guy on my team is like he worked um he actually he used to be the uh what well they all switched over to hawkeye it was now like rep soto the like tracking stuff he he managed all the like the rep soto stuff for the rangers for for a couple seasons and so it's like we ended up like we just like talked about sports for like an hour while we were eating lunch and it was like chill and so it's like actually gets really to know and so it's it, it feels like a little forced at first when you're not used to it but then you realize like okay this is actually makes the other meetings and it's like then you can you actually know okay this is what they're into it's like i can talk to you about other stuff in other meetings now without it i think there's benefit there i mean that's one thing that we struggle with like we're figuring out how to replicate you know the water cooler talk and that is a challenge but i mean we still have 300 people who are all mostly located in the same sort of geographic areas we try to pull people in still but yeah it's the same thing of like we don't know anybody it's a very weird phenomenon it is. But, I mean, it's it's like anything. Like it's there's just things. You know, this is kind of a segue. This is a good segue that we have into a, the press release that came out today of about the mentorship program officially launching with the Royal Blue Collective and BYU. Like, there's things that just naturally happen, yeah. and when you're working in an office versus th- working at home, and then there's things that don't naturally happen. So you have to be intentional about it. And it's like when you're in an office the like shoot the bull, like get to know each other naturally happens, but you have to be a little bit more intentional about it when you're working at home. When you're in the office, you also naturally happen where someone comes and bugs you and interrupts you a lot more. And then focus time happens a lot more when you're working at home a lot more naturally. And so there's the trade-off, right? And so, but with one of the things that BYU is trying to be intentional about is this mentorship program, which is being launched by the Royal Blue in in conjunction with the Built for Life program. Uh, This is not replacing but like building on top of the built uh you know the kind of the built scholarships that we've had the last two seasons uh you know after the some players went public with some complaints about things over the summer there were some other questions players decided to bite the hand that feeds them is what you mean yes and uh players maybe contract Yes. So the players who did not fulfill their end of the contract and then decided to complain about not getting money and then built turned around and still said anyway, okay, fine. We'll cut you one last check, even though you didn't keep up your end of the deal because you're making us look bad. Yeah. That the built was built was notably not on the list of companies as part of the mentorship program. Um, so I, I don't know, I don't but, know a ton of those details, but I know enough details to know that Built is still very much a BYU brand. Yes, but they they are leaning more heavily into the corporate sponsorship side of donating yes. to BYU yes. than they are. And, and it's still the uh, Built for Life program, which I think they are like the name sponsor of that overall. But something that they are Kalani, being that was Kalani's thing. I think even before Built came to the table, and it just was like happy coincidence. Oh. I thought because they announced it like the same time that they announced the built thing. They did, so, but I think that Kalani had done 
like it wasn't an NIL thing, but he was trying to get something stood up that was like uh, his own foundation. Anyway, uh, but yeah. But anyway, so this mentorship yeah. thing is going. So it is replacing that in terms of it is team-wide covering with players getting all, you know, getting money. It is not just a flat uh kind of it's not just a flat where you know everyone's getting their tuition covered the way the built deal was it was going it's spread across more companies you know in bigger companies like mountain america zions um bank a couple you know other feastbox who is started yeah feastbox who was started by one of the built co-founders um so they are doing this program with the uh you know doing this program with getting um these mentorships where they can get into uh, you know, where they can kind of, it's basically going to be like an, it's like an internship and then they're going to be getting paid monthly. I think even the walk-ons, like it is still covering all 123 players on yeah. the roster. Uh, so they're, you know, it's, as far as I know, there's not any school that is doing that. That um, was what, uh, so the, the Royal blue is, is obviously partnered with Encore and open doors who are partnered with a ton of other NIL people. Uh, and if you looked at like Twitter, paid attention to what the Royal Blue was retweeting, like a lot of the stuff that they would retweet was from like NIL attorneys, like national level NIL attorneys and stuff. And so they're pretty connected to the collective space. And to their knowledge, this is the only collective sponsored deal that's taking care of every player on the roster. Yeah, because there are things like SMU announced like 25 grand a player and you know, BYU and Texas Tech announced like 15 grand a player or something, but I think that was only the scholarship players. It wasn't all of the walk-ons yeah, as well. And even then, this this money, uh, like that SMU money of like 25 grand a player for the walk-ons, like it's, you know, that's in the ballpark of what even the walk-ons are going to be getting through this program. Like it's so I've heard, there. And I've talked with some folks who are pretty darn close to the whole thing. Um and, and we've had Mark on this show before, Mark Comer. I mean, we we know we know the collective fairly well. Uh, I would expect so. There's tiers. I can't remember how many. Maybe I don't know how many, and that's why it's not that I can't remember. I don't know. I don't. Anyway, uh, I think there are four or five tiers. How players are selected and assigned a tier, I don't know, uh, because it's not like the coaches can decide it. It can't be pay for play, but I would assume like depth chart, playing time you know, number of snaps, reps, that kind of stuff. I'm sure that goes into account. But it's the if you're on the field more, then your name right. and image and likeness are worth more. Correct. If you're but a captain, also- which, which there's eight or there's eight captains and 10 co-captains. Right. If you're a captain, that is a right. title that you have. So you can justifiably say your name, image, and likeness is worth more. That might give yeah. you some insight into the tiers. And so there are tiers and that's how it's based is that, you know, I'm sure the guys who get the most playing time are getting the most money. Ultimately, uh, it is assigned by the collective, but I'm sure they're going to take a whole bunch of input from from a lot of people inside, outside of BYU, their board, things like that. Uh, without without knowing specifics, I would I would expect it's something like three thousand, thirty five hundred bucks a month for that top tier. So put you in like the 35, 40 ish thousand dollars a year is, is that's kind of like a base salary, right? Like think of it that way. They're still getting a living stipend from BYU. They're still getting housing paid for all that stuff. And then there's nothing that's prohibiting anybody from getting additional NIL deals, including NIL deals from the collective. 
So, right. So it, when you, yeah. So if you read the press release today and we're like, we're still nowhere close to what we need to be, or like these big time schools are giving players are getting hundreds of thousand dollars just to do it. Like this is, this is the baseline. This is, this is for everybody. Yeah. And this is like, the bare minute, And this is the for everybody thing. Yeah. And then the walk on. So that last tier, you know, the guys, the last, I don't know how many are in each tier, right? Is it 10? Is it 20? I, I don't know. But that bottom tier, I would expect it to be closer to like five, six hundred bucks a month, which effectively is six, seven thousand dollars a year to cover tuition, right? I mean, that's the way that I would look at that. Uh, so yeah, five hundred bucks a month doesn't sound like a lot of money, but when you look at it that way, of oh, it really replicates what Built was doing, and walk-ons are able to get their schooling paid for. Great, like that's cool. So it's a cool thing for the collective, uh, but yeah, it, it is. It is independent of anything else that the collective does this mentorship program is a baseline so there will still be money that needs to be raised there will still be the big high dollar payouts right like if there's another kingsley suamataia who's you know lives in orem is lds knows the coaches and is a five-star type guy and needs nil money to like yeah the, the collective's still going to work on that it's still going to be the same this is all independent of that um so this is cool and it is a, a very big deal and, and the thing that the collective wants to really stress, and that frankly, I don't know that the, I don't know that the press release, eh, it was a press release, so how much can they really say? I don't think it really hit this home enough. So I tried to tweet it in like the most basic layman's terms that I could. But here's what is, here's what the collective is trying to do. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> we're going to talk about it. Oh my gosh. We're going to talk about it later that BYU and the NFL, like if you go to BYU, you can make it to the NFL, right? So if you're a BYU football player, you can leave BYU with a shot at the NFL. Now what the collective is doing is they're trying to introduce you to business owners, leaders, thought leaders, you know, whoever, right? Industry leaders in a, your preferred field. So now effectively you can maybe, you know, have a billionaire or two in your contact list. And that's your mentor. So when you leave BYU, you still get the same shot at the NFL. That's the football aspect of it that Kalani and the coaches have to figure out. But the collective is now equipping these guys with uh, a network, right? Like resources beyond just what they've learned in school. And then BYU is still doing the academic side of it. So now if I'm a football player and I'm a part of this collective, part of this mentorship program, I leave BYU with a shot at the NFL with a ton of connections into the business world in the preferred field that I want to go to. So I have all of those ins, right? While the rest of the normal students and humans are going like internships route and blindly sending resumes across the world or working with, uh, you know, job placement groups at the university, these guys are getting effectively, right? Like mentorships, one-on-one -on -one type relationships with business leaders. That's huge. So that's what the collective is doing. And then obviously BYU is equipping them with the academic knowledge and all that stuff. They're trying to create well-rounded individuals and, and preparing you for whatever life throws at you. If that's the NFL, fantastic. If that's, hey, football doesn't work because you got hurt because you weren't good enough because of whatever, we're still going to take care of you in the name of you're a BYU student athlete. So it's a pretty cool program. And I think as it catches on, uh, the money that exists today is the money that exists today. And that's the money that they have committed over several years. I, I, it's not forever, right? I mean, obviously, they're going to have to get these guys to continue to reinvest and recommit. But they're committed for the next couple of years at minimum. 
And as more money continues to come in and more people are starting to see the benefit of this, then you're going to see that 35,000, whatever the number is, $35,000, like that will continue to grow. This isn't a hard cap. It will continue to grow. Uh, so it's a really cool program. I think it's, it's fantastic for the student athletes. It is football today, but I would expect that you see basketball roll out probably before basketball season. And then I know that there are several other big time donors that have specifically wanted to take care of individual sports really on their own. Uh, women's volleyball, women's basketball, baseball. I know that there's things in the works for each of those teams. And I'm assuming, I, I know golf has got somebody as well. The collective is really trying to take care of everybody across the board. Um, and that can be good or bad, you know, like there, there's pros and cons to that. Uh, but it's very BYU, right? It's very on brand for what BYU is and what the church wants BYU athletics to be. So it's a win. One thing I think about this is um, the that it can be a very good, not just recruiting tool because, you know, it is saying like, hey, we're going to set you up for life. We're going to take care of you forever. But it is like it also weeds out the kids where it's not a good fit. Like, I mean, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? Like, Quez Glover left and his biggest complaint was NIL. The dollar amount, the raw dollar amount was not an issue. No. It, like that was the TRB could do that. That the raw dollar amount wasn't yeah, an issue. It. Like they had it. And I, I mean, feel like we need to they, they had it. And then after he did, I mean, in in the long run, it's gonna end up working out better because he left over that money. Marcus Adams is now back in the portal. He, you know, things are you know, BYU is as good a spot as you could hope for a top 50 national player who's not LDS. And uh, because of Glover leaving, enough people reached out to TRB saying, hey, like, I want to donate. And they, um, how do I phrase this? What Glover was asking for for this season, TRB raised multiples of that Mm -hmm. by like it, the news came out on like Monday morning that he was transferring by Wednesday, they had raised multiples of what he was asking for. The dollar amount is not the issue, but you do have, if, if BYU and you talked about this a little bit on the discord, if the only reason that you're coming to BYU is for the money for any, you're going to have a bad time in the same way that if the only reason you take a job is for the money, like, yeah, it's better than no money. And you would, you know, prefer over the alternative of nothing, but you're probably not going to enjoy your day to day very much. And BYU has right. a lot of weird crap that goes on with it. And so we've talked about this before, like there's a lot of kids who are religious and, you know, that they want a good environment. They don't want to be at the frat house partying, like what you think of, of when you try to say, oh, well, the honor code, like kids all want to go, you know party and just want to go drink and have sex so how are we ever going to recruit anybody and it's like okay there's 133 fbs schools recruiting signing 25 players a year each that's like 3400 or whatever scholarships that are getting handed out every year surely you can find at least 25 of those that's you know less than one percent of them that are like oh no actually yeah i'm okay with this you have to work harder but you can find it so with this though with recruiting in this way you are finding kids who are going to fit in and want to do things the BYU way and understand. And if they're like, no, that's not important to me. I don't care about that at all. Then that tells you a lot of how they're going to fit in with the rest of the program. And I was on my mission for the entire Jay Keeps era. 
but I remember talking, I was talking to my brother after I got home from my mission where, you know, heaps made a lot of comments. Like I think he even made like at the infamous, like Iggy's press conference or whatever that someone like asked him about going on a mission. And he was like, football is my mission. And it's like, that's great. You think like, Oh, that sounds so awesome. And like, whatever. But then you put that in a locker room where half the team went on missions and are married and have kids and that attitude kind of in that kind of super ego, like cocky mentality coming from your quarterback doesn't, while you love that and it, it fits like everywhere else, BYU is different. And so it's, I think this really, if you can find kids that can buy into that holistic, like this is how we're going to prepare you for life, then that can kind of be a good litmus test for these non LDS kids who grew up in, you know, West Virginia or like New York or something where it's like theory and Alexander, Georgia, right. And it's like that they're going to be able to come in and fit in because they see the whole picture and you can't run away from the weird things when you're recruiting BYU because they're selling BYU to a recruit because then they get there and they're like, Oh, this sucks. I hate it. Like you just have to own those and make them a feature, not a bug because then you get someone who's understanding and they go on eyes wide open and then they can have a good experience and they don't feel like it was a bait and switch. And especially if you're going for the East coast, like, I mean, as someone who lived in the South, like for so Theron Exeller is a great example versus compare him to Keaton Slovis, where it's like Keaton Slovis worked with, you know, he worked when he was in high school with QB elite. Like he was around Ty Detmer and Max Hall when he was in high school. He played, went to high school in Scottsdale. He played with LDS kids when he was in high school. Therian Alexander maybe has 10 LDS kids at his high school total and lucky if there's one on his football team. Like the sheer number of players, not just outside of Utah, but like you look at the West Coast versus the East Coast and the South in terms of number of LDS students that these players have actually been exposed to if you're really casting a national net is tiny. And so yeah. you have to sell everything so that way they can't. So Therian Alexander can come in and have a great experience and know what he's going into and buy into everything. And then we can still lean on be like, Hey, yeah, maybe there wasn't anyone in your high school, but like Jeff, I mean, you lived in Atlanta for a while yeah. when you were a youth, the church is everywhere. We can say, Hey, we're not like other schools where if you go to Georgia tech, you're basically going to live in the Atlanta area for the rest of your life. If you want to leverage it, you go to BYU, we can find you a job anywhere in the country, name the city, we will get you connected with the mentor. And that is a massive difference in what BYU can offer outside yep. of the raw dollar amount. It is. And let me tell you this too. The, the, the biggest proponent of making sure that this program ran this way and that everybody was getting something was Kalani Satake. And you've heard Kalani say this in various interviews. And in and, and the beginning of NIL, he kind of got roasted because they – you know, they clipped him, right? They, they took what one sentence of his comments out of context when he said, I don't know if kids should be should have this much money, right? And he kind of said it in general. Anyway, he's talked about this several different times that he really is cognizant, uh, maybe more so than any other coach at BYU right now, of the culture and the environment inside his locker room. And if you just have guys out there getting huge checks and then you've got other dudes on the scout team getting nothing, uh, eventually the whole idea that there's a hierarchy and the good players get paid and I get nothing, but I'm still the one getting beat to a pulp and practices, it hurts your locker room. And so Kalani has been the biggest advocate for make sure that we're doing this the BYU way. 
And he's talked yeah. about that with the collective, the collective. I, like I said, we, we've had Mark on this show. I've talked with Mark several different times. I've talked with a ton of different sources inside and outside the collective and encore and open doors. So I've talked to a lot of people about all of this and they've been very, very clear that there is the way that maybe fans want to do it. There's going to be the way that Texas and Texas A&M do it, but there's a BYU way to do this. And the collective has worked really, really hard, almost to a fault, uh, to make sure that they're doing this the way that church leadership would approve of and BYU would approve of. And this mentorship program, this is the way that they're doing that, right? And, and so it is. It's a, it's a really big win. And to your point, Garrett, uh, and this kind of segues into our next topic, I, I want to look at uh, – so there were 15 guys, right, who are now on an NFL roster after Zane Anderson got picked up. And let's just go through these. Tyler Algier, not a member. Zane Anderson, yes. Chris Brooks, not a member. Brady Christensen, yes. Michael Davis, not a member. Blake Freeland, Jaron Hall, Taysom Hill, yes, yes, yes. Dax Milne, sorta. Puka Nakua, sorta. Sione Takitaki, yes. Kyrus, yes. Fred, I don't think so. Jamal Williams, no. Zach Wilson, sorta. Not real. I mean, so... The point being that about half of the guys in the NFL from BYU right now are either non-members or not active members, right? Like they never really had anything to do with the church on Sundays. The other half are. So BYU's got to find this pitch and it seems like they have. And I think that the collective in this program is it's going to help them do that, but they've got to find a way to, to appeal to multiple sets of audiences. It's not just, go get the best football player. It's go get the guys who fit from a religious standpoint, go get the best members of the church. It's go get the best players who have the ability to abide by the honor code for several different or for several years. And then it's going to the transfer portal and just get the best football player who can do it for four months. Like they've got to have a pitch that resonates with a lot of different types of players, types of people. And that doesn't even talk about their football fit. And so something like this, I think, goes a long ways. Um, Cash checks have been distributed already. I mean, so it, it is in process. It is working. It's fantastic. It's a huge win for the football program. Like I say, I know that the basketball program, things are rolling out. Other programs, things are rolling out. They're doing it. They're doing it the BYU way. I think it's going to work. And Kalani's culture, that locker room right now, is the biggest recruiting tool that Kalani has. Like People can hate, love, and learn all they want. But that message, and people hate it because they assume that, people hey, loved it in 2020 when we wore it in Stomp Navy, and then they well, started what? hating it last year. I'm tired of this love and learn bullcrap. Yeah. Same way that people loved Broncos Firesides when they did the first one, and then we had a comeback win against New Mexico the next day. Thanks, Matt Allen. But then by the time 2015 rolled around, Firesides were the reason we were losing. Yeah, and so I mean. I, that's going to happen. Fans are going to fan, but that love and learn philosophy, right? Like it means so much more than those words. It's really what has made Kalani's locker room. Like it's what you, you've heard Keaton Slovis talk about. It. You've heard Aiden Robbins talk about it, that those are guys that are from outside of the BYU mix, right? Like Keaton Slovis had some exposure to, to, to BYU and some exposure to members of the church. Aiden Robbins is from Kentucky. Like not even just the South in general. Like, he's from Louisville, Kentucky, like totally different from BYU, right? Like right at the heart of the Bible Belt, like totally different from BYU. 
And you hear those guys talk about it. You've heard Marion, you've heard Lassiter, you've heard Vonquachon, you've heard all these guys talk about how easy and natural it was to fit inside BYU's locker room. That is because of love and learn. That is the culture that Kalani is creating that is attracting players like that. So here's this. Uh, I don't know that we've ever talked about this publicly. Keaton Slovis, I think this is public. He didn't ask for a dollar from the collective. Now, he's been taken care of since, but he didn't ask for a dollar in NIL stuff. He came to BYU because he loved the coaching staff. He loved the locker room. He loved the fit. Darius Lassiter, Keelan Marion, A.J. Vonkvachan, um, Aiden Robbins, Deion Smith, all of them, the exact same situation. Not one of them asked for a dollar coming out of the transfer portal. Do you realize how rare that is in today's era? Like they didn't bring it up. They came to BYU, committed to BYU, and wanted to be here without talking about money. And then money came afterwards because they're great kids, great fits. They're going to do great things. And BYU wants to take care of the guys they, they that are on their team. But they didn't ask for anything. So there's, there's still guys out there. As much as we lament the current state of college football and the transfer portal era and all this stuff, there are still people out there looking for what BYU provides. You got to look really hard. Like some years you're going to have to look really, really hard. But uh, pretty fantastic, I think. And uh, yeah, kudos. Kudos to, we'll, we'll try to get Mark on maybe next week in the next couple of weeks to talk about it in a little bit more detail. But uh, uh, it's, a, it's a big win. There's no question about it. Big win for BYU. Big win for the program. Big win for BYU. Uh, some, I don't want to kill the bad vibes here, um, but I just saw this. Someone shared this on the Discord, and it was a link shared by Ben Criddle that apparently, uh, so Brady Papinga has a son, Julius Maximus Papinga, who he named, who is his only son, who he named after the character from Gladiator, because that's Brady's favorite movie who is 17 years old. He was a class of 2025 recruit and he had asthma and uh, he had a severe asthma attack last week with a collapsed lung and was hospitalized and he passed away in the hospital oh today. Gosh. So I cannot imagine, especially like something such a freak thing like that. That's, I mean, yeah, I mean, lots of people have asthma and you deal with it, but I mean, there's plenty of professional athletes with asthma and it seems like such a, like you don't think of asthma being a life threatening condition once it's like identified and you got your inhaler and you're kind of good to go and you deal with it. Uh, I cannot imagine losing a child at that, you know, at that age when it was, you know, we played at Westlake high school in Westlake village, California. That's one of the better high schools in the LA area. You, you know, got playing time last year as a sophomore on varsity, uh, you know, was looking as someone who potentially was an FBS level player by the time his senior year rolled around and he's, gone so uh you know feelings our heart goes out you know to brady and obviously that you know also you know kelly papinga on staff just had a woke up you know did the walkthrough today thinking about going you know how they're going to get ready for the season opener on saturday and then he finds out you know that his nephew passed away that's not that's just man, awful awful news heartbreaking so yeah absolutely I mean, heartbreaking condolences to uh, the entire Papinga family. Yeah. It's, I mean, Brady, obviously it's his son, but Kelly Papinga, I mean, that's a tight knit family and uh, now that's heartbreaking. Yeah. That's, uh, that is kind of a vibe shift from where we were headed, but I know I was, I, I didn't know when to put that out there, but it was like, it popped up and I'm sitting here like, I don't know, gosh, but now it kind of feels bad talking about anything else or having any kind of brevity at the rest of this episode. Well, it does feel a little bit weird, but 
we will move forward. That sucks. That, I mean, that's just uh, uh, it is game week, though. It is game week. We have uh, the Sam Houston Bearcats are coming, which we learned that the Bearcat is a real animal. Yeah. It is also called – I don't even know how we say this. It was a, a, Oh, wait, was there, hold, hold on. We can't officially talk. We can't move on from the collective yet. We forgot to announce our announcement that we've already announced. We're donating oh, yes. to the collective. Give them Elbrigham.com yeah. or GEHB.co. They both work. baby. Uh, go to the store, anything you buy at the store. And granted, there's only, you know, four or five options. We on cleaned it up. You you went through a phase where anytime you got bored at work, you would design something and put it on the store just because you wanted to order it for yourself. And, and so we we cleaned a lot of that. We cleaned all that out. So there's just, you know, there's like two shirts and three sweatshirts. Yeah. Very simple. Out there, but anything we make through the bye week, I don't even know when the bye week is. First week of October? Um, when is the bye week? I don't know. Anyway, anything that we that we sell through the bye week, and it is so it's so anything we sell through October 7th, every dollar that we earn will be donated to the collective. So if you want a dope give Mel Brigham crew neck sweatshirt, and maybe we'll design one or two more things and throw them out there as, as ideas come up or whatever. But yeah, anything that we sell. If you want it, you want a crew neck sweatshirt, get yourself a sweatshirt and simultaneously donate to the collective. Kind of a cool thing. Now we can officially shift gears and let's talk about Sam Houston and the Bearcats. Bearcats are terrifying. Did you see the picture I tweeted out tonight of a Bearcat? Yes, it was they it was mildly not. terrifying. Yeah, they're not great. Not good even. They're very bad. Binturong? Uh, bin yeah. Binturong. Yeah. The one like you tweeted out was like freaky, but I want to know what's the difference. So they're not the Cincinnati, the Cincinnati Bearcats are there, but these are the Sam Houston Bearcats with a K. I so, think it's just about Texas. Because like you got the Houston Cougars that uh they still C O O G. Yeah, they like Cougs. Speaking of Cougs, shout out to Noah Lugo, BYU's quarterback commit in this class. After Therian Alexander tweeted that he was offered by Houston, uh, Noah Lugo, he made sure to clarify for everybody that Cougs with the U is greater than Cougs with an O. And uh, he's embraced the culture. So that, shout out to uh, Noah. Also, Lugo. Shout, out to, shout out to him. Last week, he uh, went 20 for 27, completed 74% of his passes for 184 yards and three touchdowns. And then also had 13 carries for 74 yards and a touchdown. So he can play, man. He's gonna Noah he's gonna Lugo speak. can ball. Enoch Watson didn't have a bad game himself. I mean, he played a he. They played one of the like the number two team in the state down here, and they ended up losing. Uh, but it was it was interesting that the final score and uh, his final stat line was not all that different than when Corner Canyon played Bishop Gorman. And now I mean, the losing quarterback was the end of that one. And you know, there were some comparisons to that yeah, between those two. But interesting. Uh, uh, anyway, yeah, Noah Lugo, Enoch Watson, great players, great stuff. Exciting, exciting times. Meanwhile, Maya Leowaki Smith has still not committed anywhere in what is turning out to be the most bewildering quarterback recruitment that I can remember. He's going to end up at San Jose State or Fresno. I don't know where he's going to go. I keep thinking it's got to be Oklahoma State here in the end, but dude, I got, but I got no if, idea. If he was going to go to Oklahoma State, he would have gone already. 
That's what I don't get. If he was going to go to San Jose State, I think he would have gone. I I just, I genuinely don't understand what's happening. No, I think what's going to happen is. I think I have, as much as anybody in the BYU fan base, I think I've paid more attention to just the national landscape of recruiting than anybody else in the BYU football fan base. And I can tell you definitively, I have zero clue what is going on with my, it, it is the most unique, and weird recruitment that I have ever followed. I followed a lot. The, I I think that he's gonna may try to call up Oklahoma State, and Gundy's gonna be like, "Yeah, we've moved I don't on. Know. Sorry, bro. I don't, they haven't though, and that's the only reason I still think it's that they haven't offered another quarterback yet. So it's possible he's a silent commit, but like, what's he being silent from? Everybody else moved on. There's nothing left to be silent about. So I don't get it. But we were talking about Sam Houston State. Okay. <laughs> so I've done some YouTube videos. I did SWOT analyses, you know, because to try to be different. Yes. And they were good. I think they actually were turned out okay. Go check that out in the Daily Dose. But there were some people in the comments as I talked about Sam Houston State providing a, a, an actually a pretty decent test for BYU. There are people in the comments that are very quick to be like the fan, the fan hand wringing about Sam Houston State beating BYU is ridiculous. There's not a single person predicting a BYU loss. Now, can we just accept that as a given? Remember when you were doing like eighth grade geometry? and you were filling out proofs and you would have the equation and then you'd have like the answer or whatever. And you had to like proof. And number one was always a given. Can we just mm-hmm. accept that BYU winning is a given? Yes, we should. I mean, we should. 20 okay. point favorite. So if we can accept that that's a given now, let's move on past that and talk about it. But Sam Houston state's not SUU. They're better than people think they are. That doesn't mean that they're going to win. But they may cover, right? BYU might only win by 17 points, and people are going to flip out about it. But that would be a fine win for BYU. Sam Houston State has some dudes. They've got some speed. They've got uh, Casey Keeler. He is a legendary coach. We're all excited because Jay Hill's the defensive coordinator. Well, Casey Keeler beat Jay Hill. You know, like his teams down at, at the FCS level have won national championships. Like they've done bigger and better things than what Jay Hill did at Weber State. They had different athletes. is a different scenario, circumstances. But Casey Keeler is a legitimately fantastic football coach. So yeah, like, he's been around the block for a long time. Long time. And he's won consistently yeah, for see. a long he's, time. Uh, uh, yeah, he is, 25, he is 25 and 7 in the uh, FCS playoffs and 21 and 7. In the D three playoffs, he's two hundred and fifty nine yeah. and one hundred overall, and uh, won, yeah, won two FCS titles and you know a whole mess of other stuff. So his, yeah, he's been all over the place. And so yeah, so like no, when we talk about Sam Houston State being a good team, it's not hey, hold on to your butts, folks. BYU might lose this. That's not at all what anybody is saying. But we are saying that BYU has to come ready to play in order to win this game in the manner that people think they're going to win this game. They cannot show up and sleepwalk and expect this to be, you know, a 40 point blowout. That's just not what it's going to be. There's too much talent 
on this Sam Houston State team, particularly the front seven on defense. Markel Perry is one of the best pass rushers that BYU is going to play this year. I don't care that he's at Sam Houston and BYU is in the Big 12. The dude's a legitimate edge rusher, and he's going to he's going to give BYU a test, right? I would imagine he probably lines up on the right side. So is he going up against ETN or Braden Kime or whatever BYU's doing at right tackle? Uh, yeah, he's going to give them a test. And it's not meaning to say that BYU's going to lose as a result of Markel Perry, but he's going to test that right tackle, and he's probably going to blow up a couple of plays, and that's going to suck. It's like BYU, it's a 20-point spread. It's not like Alabama playing whoever Alabama is that's a 39-point spread. It's not even Iowa playing Utah State where it's like a 30-something point spread. It's different. It's a 20-point spread. Everybody's expecting this game to be within three scores. Well, and a lot of that is just because of the uncertainty, right? Because it's, yes, they won the, you know, they went undefeated and won the 2020, which was played in spring of 2021, yep. FCS title. And then they redshirted a bunch of players. They only played nine games last year, and they redshirted a bunch of players to bring them back for this year. And they weren't eligible for the playoffs last year because they'd already announced that they were moving up. And then they, you know, they've it's their first year in the FBS. It's their first game as an FBS program. What is that going to look like? You know, we saw Jacksonville State with Rich Rod in their first game. You know, they beat UTEP. I mean, UTEP still sucks and is not good, but UTEP won like five and seven last year. And you know, they've still beat them in their first game up and they're not. And, you know, I think they can, Sam Houston, even, you know, this game can be, it's going to end up, you know, we'll win by like 14 or 17. What's going to end up happening is it's going to be the, the line will close at like 19 and a half. We'll win by 17. People will complain that we didn't cover and say how awful we are. They're going to overreact. And then, nothing and then it's gonna be fine like we will have not you know we will be comfortably in the lead the entire game it's not even gonna be close to being a bad game but then because we didn't win by 40 points over well they were an fcs team last year people are gonna be mad about it 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 reminds me of 2020 when byu played utsa okay BYU plays UTSA, and remember, this is Franco Harris. He's there. This is Jeff Trailer. This is the, a very solid UTSA team, but they were UTSA. Like, who's ever heard of UTSA? Nobody's ever heard of UT San Antonio. Nobody's ever heard of the Roadrunners. And so when BYU went out and they won 27 to 20, everybody flipped out. Everybody projected that BYU was going to then lose against Houston the next week, and BYU went and beat Houston on the road by more points than they'd be like 17 points, right? Like it was not particularly close, but what did UTS UTSA do in 2021? Well, they went 12 and 22 that or 12 and 22, 12 and two that next year. Uh, this is that kind of team. I think that, yeah, like that. No, nobody's projecting BYU is going to lose. I don't think that's the case at all. I hope BYU wins by more than seven, but remember, I mean, that was a really good BYU 20 te- or team in 2020, but that was a pretty darn good UTSA team. I just find it so interesting that BYU, for 40 years, we have been the program that has demanded respect. We've been the one that everybody's overlooked that has said, like, why, how, why on earth should Baylor lose to BYU? Why should number one Miami ever lose to BYU? Why should anybody, right, go through the list? Like, BYU has beat Nebraska. They beat Wisconsin. They beat USC. They beat 
Oregon. They beat Washington. They have beat big-time names. They beat Texas. They beat Oklahoma. For years, we have been that team that has been on the outside, not in the power conference, and that has been overlooked, and we've demanded respect. Now there's a team in a Sam Houston where we're saying, hey, you know, they might be better than you think they are, but we're the ones sticking up our nose and being like, ah, no way, there's won't be. It just seems so, like, have we forgotten who we were? Yeah, that, we, we De- definitely. On being that guy. You know what I mean? I mean, we saw, right, I mean, we dealt with this in 2021 when we we played UAB in the bowl game, right? It was like, oh, we better stomp them by million points. Like, freaking UAB, who is UAB? And we said, hey, well, they can play. Like, it's, you got to, I mean, the the talent disparity across college football is definitely way larger than it is in the NFL because there's no salary cap and there's 133 teams in with 125 players each instead of 32 teams with 50 players each, 53 yeah. players. Um, yeah. But the, you know, this but still. The one to 25 is greater than the gap from 25. From 25 to 100. Yeah. Like it's you, and there's, I mean, how in these types of, if you don't pay attention and you overlook somebody, you look ahead to your week two game. This can happen anywhere. Like how the hell does Old Dominion beat Virginia Tech a couple of years ago? Yeah, right, like, like you know, it's, it, there's games every year that should never happen because you get cocky and you can't get cocky, right? There's a difference between being confident and being arrogant, and you never want to be arrogant. You should always be confident. I hope everyone is as confident as a pooping toddler, but they, you know, just where they, you know, they look you square in the eyes and you know exactly what's happening, and their face starts to turn red. They just have that level of confidence that no adult would ever do something like that. You know, we don't go with the, the bathroom door open, sh- shouting to the world exactly what we're doing. But I hope we all have that confidence, the confidence of a pooping toddler. But there is, you know, it, yeah, we can't look at it. And I don't think this team is looking ahead. And it's definitely in week one. You know, also it's week one, which it's, you know, we did our camp and then, you know, we're worried about, you know, we've done the install specific to for game prep for the last week. It's also can be a crapshoot in week one where it's your first game. You don't really know. We've got a lot of new transfers coming in. That's probably why the line is a little uh, lower than you would expect playing a CUSA team. But it's, yeah. you know, they've got a lot of talent coming back. We've added a whole new mess over like half of our transfer starters are transfers. You know, what are they, how are they going to play together? How have they gelled in the off season? What is that going to look like? Which I mean, kind of tying it back to the whole collective thing and what Keaton Slovis, where it's like, you know, you look at Miami last year, they brought a bunch of transfers and were a train wreck because they didn't buy into the vision where it's, but it seems like our transfers are bought in. They're in the guys who are here are here because they want to hear, be here and they want to do the right thing. So I'm not really worried about that, but then, you know, how you get them, you move but it's forward. It's a question mark until it's not. It's a question mark until it's not. And, uh, you know, it's a question mark until it's not. And then, you know, can you move forward and how are you going to actually play? And maybe, you know, Sam Houston state, this is, they also play Houston this year. So they, you know, we're not the only, we're not the like only big game on the schedule. And it, yes, it's their first game as an FBS team, but they probably, they care more about beating Houston than they care about beating us. If they're going to pick oh, yeah. one, they want to beat the in-state school, but yeah. they, you know, it's, you also get those games where it's like, Hey, well, you know what? screw you know like it doesn't matter like screw this game screw the install like whatever like 
all of fall camp. We're doing four weeks of game prep dedicated to knocking off this team week one because that is our big our shot to make a statement this season. That happens for a lot of these lower two, and that's how those old Dominion Virginia Tech type upsets happen. That's how the App State Michigan game happens, and you can't go in being cocky. There were guests. I want you to guess. How many FCS teams beat FBS teams just in 2022? I have the number. 13. Eight. The year before, 12. I mean, this happens every year, right? I mean, we saw Weber State a year ago go to Logan, and I get it. I, I get it. I get it. I get it. BYU is better than Utah State. Sam Houston State is probably but better than won by four touchdowns. They went by four touchdowns and won by they dismantled Utah State. Like this happens every year. Now, of course, there are hundreds of games where FCS teams lose to FBS teams, but it happens every year, and you just don't want it to be BYU, right? I mean, we'll never I'll never forget that Portland State game in 2017. I think BYU won yeah. like 20 to 6. And it was 155,000 degrees in that stadium. You don't want it to be the, you don't want it to be ugly. Yeah. It was 20 to six. You don't want it to be ugly. You want a comfortable win where, you know, and you don't even, and also in this game, it's too, it's like, if this game is like extremely comfortable, you know, it's also the kind of game where maybe we give up a late touchdown because we have a new defensive staff. There's a lot of oars on that depth chart. They're going to try to get guys reps to kind of figure out what they have because we are in a different scenario now where we have a conference season to move into. And yeah. we're looking at this conference season and it's like, you kind of, this is almost like a preseason game, like where yeah. you expect to win. And so as you, you know, once the game is comfortable, you're up by a few scores, they haven't really slowed your offense down. You're kind of, you might kind of, we're not going to see the hockey line subs, but you're going to see, some more of the twos come in kind of breaking and just get some film on guys to try to figure out what we have, because, yep. you know, you're looking at like, you even want on the depth tested a little bit because of right, exactly. Yes. Right. You want to be tested a little bit and kind of see what you have. Cause even, okay. If we hop back into the depth chart, like, okay, let's look across the offensive line. Okay. Kingsley was here last year. Obviously Simi Mala, He's new left guard, Waylon Lapuaho or Ian Fitzgerald. That is in uh, both of them are new. Okay, center, you got Pilot, uh, Paul Miley uh, or Connor Pay. Connor Pay, we got to figure that out between those two. And then right tackle, you got Caleb Etienne or Braden Kime, who's so Etienne's. Who, so basically, every single, except for Kingsley, there's possible for a new guy at every single one of those guys. And you don't bring in transfers who you don't expect to improve your program who you don't yep. think are better than the guys that you have. So it's like, there's questions there. How's that going to work out? You know, you want to see, okay, you've got on the defensive line, you know, we do have, you know, Isaiah Bogna's there. He's the clear cut starter, but then you also got Michael Dale right behind him. You're going to want to see what he does. You know, I'm we've seen, confused we have Isaiah. Ben Bywater, but you also want to see Harrison Tackert. I, I'm confused about Isaiah Bagna because is his name Bagna? Because I've started to hear people say Banya. Like it's a silent uh, G. I and I have no clue. And I went on know. I went on Sports Nation and I thought that I had nailed AJ Vong Pachong. But according to the Sports Nation guys, it's Von Pachong. Like the NH is almost silent. Oh really? And so that threw me off. And for whatever reason, BYU did not put 
Vongfachon in the pronunciation guide. Like, they left that one out. Yeah, like that one. Nah, that one we got. That one. That um, one's easy. Robbins, Roberts, Vongfachon. I mean, those are the normal names on the team. Yes, all, all the normal ones. Uh, you know, and not uh, definitely. You know, you got to put in all the Polynesian names that are truly just phonetic, and you read them yeah. exactly as they are pronounced. Uh, but you know, yeah. even then too, it's like we're going to see what are the rotations. I mean, there's the big question at the safety position. That's what the other thing fans are going to. We, we you've mentioned this a couple of weeks ago about how nobody said a word about what a boundary corner was until Jordan Johnson got hurt, 2012. Yeah. Suddenly, everybody's going to be an expert on the safety position since Talon Offrey and Micah Harper both oh got hurt. Gosh. And, we've already, and we've already seen Ethan it. Slade. And Ethan Slade is where June because he's but it's it's still okay. You're starting Ethan Slade. He's a redshirt sophomore. He's a walk on. You've got Crew Wakeley and Raider Demuni behind him. You're going to see rotations at a few positions where you're trying to figure out what your best combination of eleven is, which is not just a fact. I mean, you're going to do that any year where you're replacing starters, but when you're replacing so many guys and you have so many transfers, you know this is there's no preseason, so that's why all these other P5 schools. That's why you schedule these soft games early because you treat it like your preseason. That's why we have these two games early so we can figure out what our best 22 are to go in and try to knock off Arkansas in week three. Yeah, that's 100% right. Um, speaking of UTSA, we did talk about them. They are a road favorite against Houston this week. Yes, so going going into our picks, uh, we have – which, oh, how did we do last week? Let's take a look. Oh, you went four for seven. I went three for seven. I got both of us. We both picked USC to go win by 30 and a half. They won by 28. They gave up a late score. I'm really mad. And then uh, Ohio, you picked San Diego State. Ohio was cooking until their quarterback got hurt. So I'm, I know it's a loss on the books, but I still feel good about my pick because when the starter was if your starter goes down in the Mac, you are guaranteed that your backup is going to suck. And the starter was eight for 10 when he went out and the backup finished 18 for 42 with a couple of interceptions. Okay. So, and they still only lost by a score. They would have, they would have covered, they would have covered. I was way off on Navy. Good job. The Notre Dame looked pretty good. Uh, and then Vandy, I mean, Hawaii looked good. We didn't put Hawaii and Stanford is only a field goal favorite on the road at Hawaii. Maybe Timmy Chang has a little something. Maybe they're playing a little bit inspired, playing for the islands. You know, we thought that maybe they'd be down, and but they did give Vanderbilt a fight. That's also kind of after like a two-hour rain delay. You kind of also have a little yeah, crap goofy You have goofy games like that. It was a, um, it was a we, Virginia game that like 2013, that BYU was the oh, better yeah. team a thousand miles, but a monsoon comes. Yeah. Um, so we have, okay, our open, well, let's start with this. UTSA, because you mentioned it, UTSA is a one and a half point favorite on the road at Houston. So this is basically, I mean, your just general gambling advice. Uh, I mean, one, you're basically picking the money line because it's really hard to win by one point. So, yeah. uh, I like the fighting Dana Holgersons. I'm a believer in Jeff Trailer. I'm a believer in Harris. I think UTSA has a very good year. But I love Dana Holgerson, and I think he is fired up. I think he hates the Big 12. I really do. I know he hates Big 12 reps. And you, you listen to him in interviews so far this offseason, even as recently as yesterday when he just is like, 
screw Texas and Oklahoma. They don't want to be here. Screw them. Like he doesn't care. He seems like he's extra like agitated. Therefore, I'm picking the fighting Dana Holgersons and uh, give me the point. You know, great. Okay. So Jeff is going with Houston and ooh, I, here's it. So last year, Houston won in double overtime and that game was really close. I think they've had this game circled. I'm taking Jeff trailer. I mean, Houston, they have a lot of question marks They, you know, they were banking on the running back out McCaskill coming back and being really good and being the focal point of their offense. And, you know, they, they lost Clayton tune. They, they were planning on the running back coming back and he transferred to Colorado. I just don't think that I don't believe in what Houston has. I think Dana is kind of Dana is psycho and he is, he is nuts. And I just don't think they have enough out the gate. And I think that trailer, you know, even though they did lose to Kari Franklin, uh, I do think that Frank Harris coming back, it provides a little bit more stability. And I think the Roadrunners kind of have bad taste in their mouth and we're going to see them on the road. Uh, You know, it's their first game in the American first game in the big 12 for Houston. I'm taking the Roadrunners. I like it. I like the pick. I just don't agree. Okay, next uh, tomorrow night, the big, the biggest game tomorrow night, the Florida Gators are now a four point favorite or four point dog on the road, according to Caesars. Uh, that at Utah, I put big money on this on Florida when it was nine and a half a couple months ago, because I don't know why it's news to anybody that Cam Rising and Brent Keithy are not playing because if they were healthy, you would have heard. I mean, you still hear, even though it's like, yeah, fall camp, you didn't hear anything about them in fall camp for the Mm -hmm. last month, which should have been a red flag. But you also didn't hear anything in June or July about them either. And your boy, Steve Bartle over Utah, when they're covering you, said, hey, Rising looks good in in player-run practices. Keithy's running well. Guys are, you know, things you would have... The good, it's similar to the Pac 12 media deal where it's like if there was anything good to say about a bad situation, surely it would have been leaked to try to, you know, help things a little bit. And there's a lot of Utah fans who are still in disbelief that Cam Rising and Brent Keith will not be playing tomorrow, despite Pete Thamel going definitively saying they will not be suiting up. So it was clear that they were not doing it. So I took the money when, when this, when the line was big. Yeah. I, w- to me, it's like, why was this ever even a question? The guy tore his ACL in January. It's September. Like, Ninja Turtles don't come back from torn ACLs that fast. And they're mutants. So, yeah, to me, this was never really in doubt. Uh, so here's how I break this down. Bryson Barnes is probably going to start at quarterback for Utah. Bryson Barnes was the record. He did not get the reps in spring because they had named someone else to start. Even though he came in in relief and was the backup the last two years, they put someone else in front of him in spring. That player got hurt, and then he has been splitting reps the last two weeks to try to figure out who's going to play tomorrow. So whoever is actually playing at quarterback has not gotten the typical amount of reps that a first stringer would get at all this entire offseason. So Bryson Barnes got famous in that 2021 Rose Bowl, uh, came in for a hurt rising against Ohio State, went two for two, 23 yards and a touchdown. Ultimately, Utah lost. 
but Barnes looked good in his two passes. The next year, he got one start where he was the guy. And it was a really kind of a similar situation. That It was the, the infamous game that Whittingham, Utah, didn't even tell the broadcast crew that Rising wasn't going to play before the game. So they didn't know up until kickoff. The game was kicked off, and the broadcast crew found out at the same time as everybody else that Cam Rising was not going to play. That was the only game that Bryson Barnes has started. He went 17 of 27, that's 63%, for 175 yards and a score. Pretty pedestrian. Utah went on to beat Washington State in that game. Uh, it was like a 21 game. 21 to 17 or something like that? It wasn't. Yeah, like it wasn't an offensive, you know, super great performance. Jaquindon Jackson was running. I mean, so like the guys who were going to be there for Utah tomorrow were there. And I think that Florida is considerably considerably better than Washington State. And all of the talk is about Rising and Keithy, but they're banged up a little bit on that defensive line too. I mean, there's potentially six or seven other guys who are coin flips going into this game. I just don't know, Graham, you know, I don't know how you pick against Florida at this point with the points, especially Graham Mertz reminds me a little bit of Keaton Slovis in that I think he's better than people are giving him credit for. Uh, So I think he'll come in and do enough. I don't know that Florida wins by 10, but I certainly think that Florida covers four and a half. So, yeah, I I do enjoy just the delusion someone Joey put this on the discord that was there was so I I will leave the tweeter anonymous but in a quote Zeet are we calling him Zeets now I don't know of so is Pete Thamel here's our ESPN story about on Utah's quarterback situation you'd expect to be without cameraizing still recovering from ACL injury junior Bryson Barnes expected to spark start with some cameos from the dynamic Nate Johnson okay so this is quoted by a Utah fan one I have a feeling Thamel's source is Josh Newman their wording is identical, doubtful to play. So the the word doubtful, which is used in every injury report related to the sport of football, is apparently that makes it where Pete Thamel, who is one of the most nails reporters and most connected people in all of college football, is talking to someone who was laid off and is now a freelance reporter for the Salt Lake Tribune or Deseret News or whatever. No, case, let me let us educate the Utah fans who are because remember it was oh, us. This was only the first dumb point of this tweet. Oh. Oh shoot! So number or number two, uh, no one on the team has announced anything either way. Why would we ever? Okay, we just you just talked about this where the they didn't announce that Rising was hurt versus Washington State last year. So why would they announce this? Yeah. Three, I'll believe it when I see it tomorrow night. Okay, that's fine. Four, with or without Cam, I still think the Utes win thirty-eight seventeen. So Cam Rising is so good that he is worth zero points. Your starting quarterback does not affect the outcome of the game whatsoever. Yeah, that's why then your starting quarterback must not be that good. That's there's wild. zero drop off between him and the dude who has been his backup for two years, but you still haven't given him a scholarship. That must be pretty wild. So let let us educate the Utah fan with our own Pete Thamel injury reporting experience. Remember a year ago, the first game, I don't remember which game it was, but the first game, I think it was probably Baylor that Pete Thamel said, hey, Puka Nakua is not going to play. I remember we all had not similar reactions in that, well, it doesn't matter. We don't need Puka. We're going to be fine. 
Like we didn't react that way, but it was like, who the hell? Like, why would Pete Thamel know? And I don't, or Mitch Harper doesn't, or Jay Drew doesn't. No way Pete Thamel knows. Well, lo and behold, Pete Thamel was right. And then after a couple more weeks of Pete Thamel being the guy who scooped the BYU injury news, it the, the conversation transformed from who the hell is Pete Thamel to why the hell is BYU leaking the information to Thamel and not to their actual beat reporters? So, yeah, don't question Thamel. Just get pissed at why yeah. Utah is leaking it to Thamel and not to Steve Bartle or to somebody else. Well, and what's the funny thing is even in their replies. So that was the original quote. Then someone replies, per my source, who's been 100%, I or I knew of Fano starting before the chart depth chart was released. Score, my source is being dead quiet. If it is not seven minutes before game time, I don't know who Josh's sources are, so I'm not sure. So I still don't even know what this person is saying in all of those words. But OP replied, yeah, sources I trust are all aligned and not saying anything before the game starts. It benefits the youth to not say anything. And then another yeah. person, you stole yeah, my prediction. Utah 38-17. No way in hell what lets the cat out of the bag less than 24 hours before game time. And then someone I think Josh is in on it and trying to throw some confusion Florida's way. The way Cam was talking the other day, I'd honestly be surprised if he doesn't play. I agree 100%. The way Cam was talking at the last press conference, his tone of voice and the look in his eyes, I wouldn't be surprised if the announcer says, entering the game at quarterback, Cam rising. Which maybe wishful thinking, but it would be so epic. <laughs> like that, the, This is I, Tanner Mangum in a meadow. I mean, we're getting the look in his eyes. Like, yeah, we're getting weird, folks. It's Pete, you're getting weird. Uh, so I, I mean, I took Florida, Florida. <laughs> I took Florida at nine and a half, and I'm taking them at four. I just, I think, you know, if this news had come out a lot sooner, we would have seen the line move more. Um, but it's already, it's already pushed, and it probably won't go push much further down just because, you know, you generally you have kind of those barricades against nice football numbers, right? Like it, it's crossing seven's hard, crossing three is hard. Um, you know, and then flipping past a pick is also hard, but I'm taking the Gators on this one. Even I, th I don't think Graham Mertz is going to be a superstar, but he's going to look better than he did at Wisconsin. West Virginia, 20 and a half points at Penn state. Uh, I think Penn state, if they're going to make a run to the playoff before it expands next year, I think this is their best chance at a CFP birth that they have this year just they don't you know the schedule's a little bit lighter they don't have you know things are a little bit easier for them across the board so i think you know i think penn state will win this one going away because i just have zero faith in west virginia at all and i think penn state wins this one going away i know it's a historical you know rivalry game they're not too far apart they both they played each other a lot when they were both independents but i'm taking the Nittany Lions on this one. I'm right there with you. I think that uh, I think Penn State, this could be the year they actually break through and win the Big Ten. Um, it all comes down to quarterback play. And I also think that uh, Ohio State still is kind of question marks on their QB. So that's yeah. where you know you have those big three of like Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, right? I, but they, you I know, also they do have to that West Virginia is all the ass. Yeah. They are not good. So yeah, I like Penn state bigly. 
Bigly. Next game, we got Colorado is uh, tw- also 20 and a half points on the road against the TCU Horned Frogs. Are you buying Coach Prime out the gate? I am taking Colorado in the points, but not because of Coach Prime, more because TCU lost a ton, and Colorado did add a ton of talent. I think TCU wins this game, but I think there's enough questions for the Frogs that in week one, they still got to iron some things out. I mean, even going to the national championship last year, they were in a ton of close games. Uh, you know, they they played, they beat Michigan in the semifinals, but they nearly lost to a bunch of teams that they had no business losing to. Uh, so I don't think that they're quite the juggernaut that maybe their their final win-loss record would have you believe, and they lost a ton. So give me Colorado, mostly because of the question marks on TCU's side. I mean, the question marks, I think, obviously, you know, Colorado added Shadur Sanders. They added Travis Hunter. They added a lot of talent at this. You know, we talked about Alton McCaskill. They added a lot of talent at the skill positions and on the back end of their defense. They're still, their offensive and defensive lines are huge question marks. Uh, But there's a lot of question marks for TCU there as well, just because they lost so many people. So I'm taking Colorado mostly because TCU, not only did they lose a lot, but they also, I mean, they lost their offensive coordinator. And I mean, they got Kendall Bryles, so it's not like there's going to be a huge drop off. Um, but between Garrett Riley and Kendall Bryles, but they still are, they lost so many people. They are, you know, that 21 points is just a lot. And unless I think you're going to be a dominant team that has a chance to make like a playoff run, covering 21 points is just, that's a lot of points. Lot. I mean, look at it, doesn't happen often between two P five teams that someone wins by three touchdowns. So I'm taking Colorado just because of that. And, you know, we'll see. I think that's the big noon kickoff game. So that's, I mean, that's exciting. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to be able to watch that one and that it's not at Colorado to where I can give it my full attention early in the morning. Uh, We got the fighting Aggies are a 23 and a half point dog on the road in Iowa city. The total for this game, is 43 points. So they're expecting Iowa to win 34, three and a half to 10. Yeah. Which is, that's a blowout. Uh, that's I, a blowout. I don't, I don't know that Iowa can even score 33 points. I know it's in their contract that, uh, that the <laughs> dude has to score so many points this season. Otherwise he's going to get fired. Brian Ferentz. Here, here's my but, take. I like Iowa to cover 23 and a half and the under to also hit. Ooh, so you, I have not paid attention. I'm, I'm just going to tell you on this one, to be honest, because I know we got Cooper Lagal coming back at quarterback. He was okay last year. He wasn't amazing, but I don't think that, you know, they don't have yeah, like amazing running back coming back. They're not coming, bringing back much at receiver. They, they lost you know, their defense. They lost their offense. I mean, they were gutted. Yeah. Uh, and it's, they this lost a lot still at 23 and a half and Cade McNamara might not even play for Iowa. If he does play, he's playing hurt and the line like betters don't even care because that's how bad Utah state is. Frankly, yeah. well, the only reason it, that it's 23 and a half and it has nothing to do with, with Utah state. It has everything to do with Iowa still can't figure out how to score. So yeah, give me the Hawkeyes and yeah, bonus pick. Give me the under. Nice. Uh, 
I could get with that. Boise State is a 14-point dog on the road in Seattle against the Washington Huskies. It's scary. Weird. I mean, it's so weird because you think of Boise State and playing Washington, and it's obviously Washington was historically one of the best teams in the hist- over the last century for the Pac-10. But then you think of Boise, and people our age, it's right. It's like, well, Washington was a middle-of-the-road Pac-10 team, and Boise was Boise. So it is mm-hmm. weird that this is their two-touchdown dog. But Michael Penix is back, and their offense is going to cook. Uh, Boise has – I think they got a lot of question marks on defense, right? Frank Miley left, went to Washington State. Kelly Papinga left. You know, So they're getting a whole new defensive staff of a defense that was okay but not great. But they still have Andy Avalos, their head coach, as a defensive guy. Uh, I – don't know. I, I kind of feel like I'm taking the Huskies in this one because I think that that offense is just going to be, it's not necessarily anything an indictment about Boise, but I think in the same way where it's like, you feel comfortable taking USC and Caleb Williams to cook every week. I'm taking the Huskies to just roll until they show me anything different. That offense is going to put up points and it doesn't matter who they're playing. I liked this line a lot more. It shrunk. It opened up at 14 and a half. Uh, because I do think this is a two-touchdown game. But I still think I want Boise. Uh, I'm, I'm a little higher on the Broncos this year than than most people are. And I'm still – I'm in this, I'm in a similar boat, but on the opposite side of it is you with Washington. Everybody – like, they're a dark horse to win the conference this year, and I'm still in show-me mode. I'll believe it from Washington when I see it. Michael Penix – uh, yeah, he was great at, you know, he's been great at times. He was great at Washington. I still remember the Indiana guy that, like, he was just so up and down. And uh, I do think Boise will be a little bit better. So give me Boise in the points. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Let's. Uh, what was Washington? How many points did they score last year? I mean, they were had a top off, and they were finished eighth in the country last year, scoring 38.7 points a game. So I mean, they did, yeah, but it's really, it's really their defense. Twelve defenses, you know. That's true. So they played. They played. I mean, let's really just break this down real quick. Uh, Washington in 2022 went 11 and two, but here was their schedule. Right, they got that terrible Michigan State team. Their out of conference schedule was Michigan State at home. They won 39 to 28. And then Portland State and Kent State. And then in conference, they played Oregon, but they missed USC. They missed Utah. I don't know, man. Like, I, I don't true. know. They, they beat Oregon play. State. They beat they Oregon. Beat Oregon State, but they beat Oregon State at home. They did beat okay. Oregon. And that was yeah, that they, they blew the- games against Arizona State and they lost by a score to UCLA, who was solid last year, solid team last year. But yeah, so they're maybe it's a little bit of fool's goal. Like maybe it's a little bit of fool's goal in that offense. They they beat Stanford by 18, but every other game that they played until Colorado at the end of the year was decided by so that was seven games in a row, seven, eight games in a row that was decided by 10 or less points. So as that's, good as they were. That's a lot of luck. That's a lot of luck. You don't want you know, anybody. Win, win. That's, that is fair. And then the last game we have is, before we get out of here, long episode tonight, is the uh, BYU. Talked about 20 and a half point favorite at home in the Big 12 opener versus Sam Houston. 
I think Sam Houston's going to keep it close for a half, but ultimately I think that altitude, I think that Lavelle Edwards Stadium, I think BYU pulls away in the second half. I like BYU to cover, and here's why. BYU has enough question marks, and they've got to figure it out. And then they have another Patsy game against SUU where you're really not going to be tested at all next week. I don't think BYU takes their foot off the gas in this one because this is really their toughest game until Arkansas. This is the only chance to get a tough test and figure things out before Arkansas. There's not a play an FCS team and then play a Colorado State, you know, middle of the road G5 team. It is barely sort of kind of an FBS team, very good FCS team, followed up by a very bad FCS team. So I think that Kalani, I think Jay Hill, I think they're going to want to keep starters in for a while. I think they're going to want to figure things out. I think they're going to want to test themselves a little bit. So because of that, I think ultimately they win by, by 25, 28 points. You know, I had put down Sam Houston State. I was thinking that 17 number that I said earlier when we were talking about this, but you just talked me into winning by three scores. And, you know, which, I mean, we could still win by three. We could win by four scores, win by 20, yep. two touchdowns and two field goals. Um, okay. I think, you know, I, you know, I think it does make sense where it's, you know, you are going to push. Maybe you pass a little bit. You don't care if, you know, where you feel comfortable, where you don't care if Slovis turns the ball over. You're going to keep throwing the ball to get him his reps because, you know, against the FCS game, like, you know, you're not going to expect a lot out of that because it's going to be so easy that this is the test. You know, this is the time to get your reps in as best you can before Arkansas and maybe, you know, maybe just getting the game reps. I mean, we saw last year with Chris Brooks, it was hard for him. You know, he, USF was just God awful, but like he kind of struggled a little bit at the beginning of the season, you know, coming from the gap scheme that Cal runs with their offense was running, coming into the zone system that, you know, that A-Rod uses that, you know, he kind of struggled hitting the holes and he kind of, it took him a few weeks, you know, a month or so to really get into his groove that we may see Aiden Robbins, you know, getting that healthy dose of you know getting guys like there's so many new pieces across the board that maybe we keep the foot on the gas a little bit longer than you normally would and maybe that's the difference between you know where it normally would be win by 17 but we're going to keep the foot on the gas a little more and get one more late score ourselves right in versus where you'd kind of you know have a backdoor cover in the last three minutes of the game against the backups which is what you kind of expect from a game like this with the spread this big yeah yeah so you talked me into it uh, Jeff has been a good episode. If you are listening to us for the first time, come check us out at ghb.co. Sign up and come join us on the Discord. We have the game thread up and going. And you named the game thread this week. Uh, I did. I, I, I ignored everybody's votes. I can't even see it. Uh, Sam Houston ran real election interference when he beat hit a political opponent with a cane. So that's apparently something that happened. True story. Uh, the Sam Houston. Uh, his political opponent said something about him and he didn't like it. So he beat the shit out of him with a cane. And that is election interference. That is definitely true. That is election interference. So thank you for listening. If you made it all one hour and 27 minutes into this damn episode and please come back next week. Like subscribe, share, give us a review on iTunes, all that stuff. Check out Jeff on the daily dose on YouTube. And until next week, Jeff, give him hell. Give him hell.